At Omni Hotels and Resorts, you'll discover endless ways to enjoy fall. From gold-tinted mountains to vibrant city centers to sun-warm beaches, Omni offers unforgettable autumn escapes from coast to coast. Choose from over 50 destinations. Book now at omnihotels.com slash fall. The Big Bark, listen up dog owners, is for you. Your favorite podcast, The Big Bark, with your host, Dara Burke, and canine co-hosts, Bruno and Millie. The Big Bark. Good evening, and a very big welcome to The Big Bark, and we're recording live this evening from Ballinahan County Limerick, on our brand new studio equipment, the Zoom Podtrack P4, so hopefully going forward, all the audio will be much higher quality. With me as always are Bruno and Millie, my two canine companions. And this week they're modelling some fantastic bandanas uh, from Pretty Little Pop. And thanks to Sarah for sending us over those lovely bandanas with their Big Bark logo on them. And joining me this evening, um, a big welcome to Dr. Tim Corby from Pepon.ie. Tim is a very uh, big friend of the show of ours. And Tim, it's great to have you back on the show. Yeah, great to be back and I love the new equipment honestly it looks good the studio set up so you know we're looking forward to good stuff coming out of this studio there brilliant and Tim it's been we were just talking before we came on there it's been a while since uh, we've been chatting probably before Christmas there I had started we were just I suppose reminiscing there the two of us you know we've had some very good sessions going over you know last year two years probably you know on the Big Bark podcast so um, you know, it has been a couple of months, but I suppose, Dara, look, we're all coming out of interesting and strange times. So we're, everybody's had their own challenges and I suppose busy in certain ways and, you know, looking to kind of come back to, I suppose, in inverted commas, normality. So, you know, I suppose we're just coming back into things now, Dara. But, um, you know, as I said, it's good for people with pets. You know, so many changes have happened. Uh, you know, people did certain things, people didn't do certain things. So I think we're just at that juncture now where, you know, we, we uh, see some things popping up that we can help people with. And that's the purpose of doing podcasts like this. And I think that's why it's so valuable what you're doing, Dara. Definitely. And same to yourself. I've been a big follower of your live streams over the last year and hopefully to see more of those soon enough as well. Absolutely, Dara. One thing I certainly learned about it, Dara, is, you know, I wear the stethoscope and that's what I enjoy doing. And there's always somebody that has another piece of information. And, you know, I'm as somebody said, I got two of these ears for a reason. Um, and I think it's very important when we're involved in the area of pets that, you know, we listen, we share information. And I think that's how, you know, we get the best information across for pets. And uh, look, we're all little cogs in a big wheel here. That's the way I see it. So, you know, if we join together and share our information with people, I think that's how the good things happen in life. Definitely, Tim. And Tim, for anyone who's not familiar and who hasn't uh, heard of Pet Bond before, do you want to give us a bit of background about Pet Bond? Yeah, we're a new uh, online platform, Dara, where people can now come to, to safely find a pet. So if you're looking to get a puppy, you know, we've approved breeders where we have a whole vetting process where we assess them um, and ensure that they're good, reputable, ethical and safe breeders. And we also ensure that the puppy is going to be healthy. So we don't allow puppy farms. We don't allow large scale breeders that do it for, you know, very, very different reasons to use our platform. So people can have that peace of mind. We also allow uh, registered rescue centers um, to use our facility. And we found homes for a huge number of pets um, through it as well. And, you know, 
we're endorsed by some of the key stakeholders in Ireland in the space. So we're young, Dara. You, I know yourself, you're, you're growing rapidly as well. And, you know, we continue to grow, Dara. I think like yourself, we're in this for the long term. Um, so, you know, as I said, quality matters and that's what we bring to the table. And it's great to see platforms like that out there, like, uh, like Pep on, and even like I've seen uh, Pete DeVette, he has Pep Fixed Club now as well. So it's great to see all these kind of like these different platforms that haven't been there for, for pets in the past and for pet owners in the past. Yeah, I think, Gary, we're, you know, we're at a point where we see, you know, it's been probably there's an awful lot of false information out there. There's an awful lot of false marketing when it comes to pets. And, you know, like yourself, when you're in the area for quite a while and you, you understand what's right, what's wrong. You understand quality from something that's low value. You know, and when you do really care about pets, you know, sometimes you have to go that extra mile and put yourself out there and say, look, okay, we're going to put this in place. And you almost set a precedent or a standard for, 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 for what's right. And then, you know, people tend to see what you're doing and people that do really care will join you along the way. And again, you know that's that's what we're doing here and it's encouraging Dara you know it's very easy to let the heads drop here in Ireland um you know I suppose we hear an awful lot of bad stuff um but you got to start to change that at some point and I think collectively what a lot of us are doing is starting to have an effect and the expectations of the public then are increasing and that's what we got to normalize Dara you know we have those expectations need to be the norm and that's where as I said, we can start to change, but we, we are changing things. And I think it's a, it's a credit to the people that are getting out there in front of, you know, as I said, the public and in front of the media um, to share that message. And, you know, I think it's a, it's, it's a credit to them showing leadership in that area and, you know, tackling difficult problems. Um, but hopefully, as I said, it's almost like a new generation of Irish people in particular, I think are, that are changing this. Brilliant, Tim. And Tim, so what I want to talk to you about this evening is, especially on the Midwest, there's been a major outbreak recently of canine kennel cough. So as a vet, like I'm assuming it's something that you would see quite quite a good bit. And what are the signs for, first of all, uh, will you explain to people who don't know, what is uh, kennel cough? Yeah, it is very, certainly very relevant at the, at the moment, as, as you rightly say. And we've kind of changed the name of the dairy. It was always called kennel cough because traditionally dogs and things to kennels and they got it. Um, but the reality is dogs get it anywhere. You know, can be out in a park, a dog can get it. So we now call it uh, canine cough. So we kind of dropped the kennel a bit, even though they can get it in kennels. So the way to spread dairy is just like any infectious um, disease. And it's very similar to flu in humans because it's transmitted by aerosol droplets in the air. So. If your dog is out in a park, it can be exposed to a dog that isn't vaccinated and it could inhale the droplets and that's how it acquires infection. So it's an airborne infection. And it's similar, Dara, in the sense to the flu in that there is a viral component called parainfluenza. And what that does is it almost like dampens the immune system in the upper airways. And when that actually happens, you kind of knock the good you know, cells out of the way and then all the bad bacteria kind of jump in and they think, okay, well, we got a free passage here and they work their way down the airways and you get all this kind of bad stuff like inflammation and, you know, mucus secreted. So your dog starts to cough, you know, that's ultimately what happens. And sometimes even when you're out walking, you'll hear this kind of a goose honking dry cough in a dog. That's the very early symptoms of it. And the coughing can progress as well. 
Now, when it does get really bad, they'll not only cough, but it can have an effect on their systemic system where your dog could start looking really lethargic. Dogs tend to go off their food sometimes because it can hurt their upper airways and they don't want to eat and worse again if they don't want to drink. So, um, as I said, it will happen outdoors. Close proximity to dogs that aren't vaccinated is a key one. And, you know, we see at dog shows, you hear dogs coming back all of a sudden, they're coughing and you ask, where was the dog anywhere recently? Again, dogs in a, a very close, dense area together where they're, they're mingling is a high risk. Um, and, you know, as I said, the best way of, 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 of preventing this is actually prevention itself by vaccination. Dara. Brilliant, Tim. And Tim, I suppose like the way you look at it, in that way, it's kind of like you look at it, like the spread of COVID over the last uh, year and a half in humans. And it happens when you're in close proximity to like people, obviously nowadays people who aren't vaccinated and to like when it first started, people like who actually had the virus themselves. Yeah, that's that's exactly the case there. And, you know, you often wonder, do dogs go around? We're kind of subclinical, you know, they say like we're latent carriers, humans. For, for COVID. So the subclinical ones were probably more of a risk. You know, the same thing applies in animals. You know, you see typical conditions where they have viral particles um, and it's only when they're stressed that they start to shed them from their airways in particular. You see it very commonly when a dog might go to a show or a cat, particularly cats, you know, when they get stressed, they shed a huge number of different viruses. Um, you see it in large animals as well. Horses, cattle will shed it when they're under times of stress. So it is something... Reduction of stress, you know, is a very big and a very valuable and a very important factor in any animal. So it comes back to, okay, you know, making your animal relaxed, habituating them to certain scenarios. And it all goes back to doing it as a young animal. So you avoid stressors. Um, and just at one point on the kennel, or I was calling a kennel cough, but canine cough is what we should properly call it, Are is there's a new vaccine where you don't have to give it into the nostrils. You know, traditionally, it was one of the things I found and I hated doing is, you know, you had to give the vaccine, but you to some dogs are very sensitive to their nostrils and you to put a little, you know, tip on a syringe and then squirt it into the nostril because it worked that way. The new vaccine, you inject it under the skin, you know, and it lasts for 12 months. And, you know, it's way more, I suppose, relaxing on a dog, giving it subcutaneously as opposed to trying to actually put something in their nostril. So that's a reduction in stress straight away and it took a long time to actually develop that vaccine i know it's gone on for a number of years but uh, i think it's less traumatic on owners and particularly in dogs when they're coming in and as i said just that that reduction in stress will improve the uptake of the vaccine itself as well that's brilliant tim and tim for people who get their dogs vaccinated on an annual basis is the uh, canine cough vaccine actually part of the regular vaccines or is that an additional vaccine no, it'll be an additional one. Um, so it's kind of a standalone vaccine, really, Darius. So you'll have your standard, like, say, call a seven-in-one vaccine, where you'll have parvo, parinfluenza, um, lepto, all of those are in the standard vaccine. And then this will be another standalone one. Now, you will probably go to a point in the future where, you know, it will be standardized and incorporated in, you know, to a single vaccine. That's usually the way things these progress, but you have to do safety trials you have to show that the antibody level will still come high enough if you do mix it in. So there's a lot of kind of formulation issues that people have to work around and the developing chemists when they, when they do deliver these. But certainly, 
you know, I think with, as you said, Dara, at the outset, with the increase in incidence of um, canine cough, that it will become more standard where people will go to the vet for their annual booster and it'll be a case of, okay, we get the, the, the canine cough booster as well. And that's really when you, just like the COVID, we're hearing now that people, you know, we probably have to get a booster in the autumn. Will it become like the flu? I don't know. Possibly where we go, people that are more susceptible will get a booster um, for for COVID. You know, perhaps the same with dogs where, you know, if we see the incidence increasing, they will be getting as part of a booster package every year as well. That's great, Tim. And Tim, I suppose, like, it's not just cane and cough that you have to look out for, especially coming into the summer months now. Uh was reading up there today, even uh, something that's actually very common in humans and in dogs is uh, hay fever. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen as many allergies in dogs, there. And, you know, I often sit back and I think about these things at night, actually. I did run through my head, why am I seeing this? And is there some reason? And, you know, when you listen to all this about COVID and you listen about people's immune systems, what's impacting those? Is it the environment? Is it the food we're eating? Is it our lifestyle? Is it stress? Or is it a combination of all these things? Or, you know, then you start thinking, is there one thing I could reduce that would reduce the incidence and reduce the impact on the immune system? And similarly with dogs, I'm always wondering, is there some kind of mitigating factor that is probably, I suppose, showing that allergies in general are increasing? You know, there's very few people that you talk to them where they either they haven't had a dog or they don't have a dog that's got some form of an allergy. And for me, you know, I always try and bring it back to, okay, fundamentally where, what is the underlying cause here? So what's causing this allergy? So, you know, there are certain things um, people will often look to, is it things in the food, particularly with dog foods? You know, I get an awful lot of people come and say, look, you know, we go to the local pet store, there's a shelf, it's 50 foot long, 10 foot high, full of dog food. I don't know where to start. You know, I literally don't know. That's what they say. And then you you get the the, the problems where people try a food, they'll get allergies to it. But again, you know, we see environmental allergens where dogs are very susceptible to things around the house. You know, it could be dust allergies, um, grass allergies. You can see the allergic to mites. Obviously, we got classical flea allergies. But you're very right, Dari. Allergies to like pollen is very common in dogs as well. And they get like upper airway conditions where... You know, you often see them rubbing their noses is probably the first thing you will see. And they can start to sneeze, runny eyes, the conjunctiva getting a little red as well. Very similar to humans. You know, again, it's the similarities are there, there, you know, where, you know, they get exposed to the allergen. Then their immune system kicks in and says, okay, we don't like this, whatever particle it is. And the immune system tries to literally react to it and you get similar type of symptoms. So, um, we certainly see more of them. Um, pollen would be the big one, Dari. Um, again, different types of grass is a big one, which I would see more of during the summer. And had a couple of cases where we've actually had to make up vaccines based on the type of grass. So I had one dog recently, and she was allergic to 12 different types of grass. Nothing else. That's all she was allergic to. So we had to make a vaccine with these in it um, and give it over a period of, of months. And once the dog got those vaccines, she was absolutely fine. And, you know, she can go out now in the summer and things, she, she will be fine like that as well. But what I would always say to people is, you know, if you know that there is a trigger that's causing this, try and remove your dog from it. Because, you know, as I said, otherwise it's going to make it worse, you know. And there are 
certain allergens that we will never get to the root of there um there are different medications out there but talk to your vet always and see if you can get your dog away from the source you know we don't we don't want to be given medication unless we really have to and sometimes just with a little discussion it's, it's very obvious what the allergen is and you can do there's a blood test you can do now we used to do skin testing before where you inject certain allergens in but that's where i think it's good to have a chat with somebody professionally and they guide you in the right direction and even speaking there, like of all the different allergens, uh, I know Millie is an absolute terror for chasing bees. And that's another one that you uh, see with dogs a lot. Like they're, they're curious and like I know she actually, I, I'm assuming she ate a bee or that's what our own vet told us anyway. And like you could see it straight away in her nose, her nose was completely swollen. So it's kind of like those things as well that you have to watch out for. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. Yeah, there you see an animal that gets stung and even if they swallow it, you know, the allergen is there. So that's what causes like this kind of release of histamine and their eyes swell up sometimes, you know, sometimes really they're tall. I've seen dogs with their head is almost double in size and, you know, you get them in as an emergency because what happens is they, they get laryngeal edema. So the, the whole voice box becomes full of fluid and it constricts the airways. Um, you know, you literally have to give them intravenous steroids, very high dose to bring down that swelling straight away. You know, dogs get allergens not only by inhaling them, Dar, as you said, they can ingest them like that. We've even seen scenarios where through their pads and their feet, small allergens can actually get through that way. I mean, people wouldn't believe it, but it's often one of the biggest and the quickest ways for dog to actually get certain particles through into the body to develop a reaction to it. And we do see certain breeds are more predisposed as well. You know, the classical one is Westies. You know, they do get significantly more um, allergies than other breeds. And particularly this time of the year as well, you'd see them, you know, starting to get the pollen season is kicking around and, you know, they will start to develop those as well. But in a case there where, you know, the dog is showing a sign of an allergy and you don't know what's causing it, there are treatments out there to get you over this high risk period, I would call it, into the autumn time. You know, it can be a seasonal thing. You know, you, sometimes you can do a huge workup and you mightn't find out exactly the cause, but your vet will be able to give you certain things that maybe in the autumn, then you can wean your dog off them and, you know, it'll just be a seasonal thing and you, you manage it best like that. So again, um, as you said, bee allergies, you know, different types of flowers um, would be very common. You would see dogs being allergic to as well. Um, and there are a lot of household products that people use, sprays in particular. Um, I see an awful lot of dogs that are allergic to those. Um, people would be using certain things over the summer. Um, fumes in a house. I saw a dog, sometimes when people lit the barbecue, the dog started scratching very aggressively. Skin was going red. Um, and it was actually fumes that were coming from it. So we did a little experiment where we said, okay, put the dog, you know, literally put that out of the way, I should say, and close the patio doors. And the dog never got a reaction afterwards so again we avoid medication where we can but as we said if you're in an extreme condition where your dog is being bitten and it's getting that acute swelling then absolutely you would need to to see a vet straight away 
That's brilliant information there, Tim. And Tim, I suppose another thing that you see during the summer especially is a huge rise in ticks. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an area Dara, that the public are becoming more conscious of as well. Um, a lot of it's due to the climate. Dara. You're getting, you know, particularly people are saying is it global warming? Like, obviously, I'm not a global scientist, so I couldn't say that categorically. But certainly when you've got dry summers, you know, high grass, particularly in late spring, early summer, in the autumn, we see a peak again. That's where ticks really like, you know, because they literally jump from that particularly long grass that you'd see in forests, um, rough land where you might have a lake, particularly around the summer as well, when the water starts to dry out, then the ticks, they prefer that type of grass as it's drying out. Um, certainly tick-borne diseases are increasing in prevalence in humans. And we often see it where ticks can actually migrate. Um, we would see it coming from particularly continental Europe. Um, the ticks, there are different species of ticks coming into Southern England. We see them coming into the East coast of Ireland and they, they, they kind of migrate westwards usually is what we would see as well. Flies follow the same type of pattern. Um, so it is something that we're seeing more incidents of disease, uh, tick-borne diseases in humans as well. Um, obviously Lyme disease would be the, the one that people would be uh, mostly aware of and a horrible disease in humans, absolutely horrible disease. Um, and we are seeing more of it in Ireland, Dara. And what I would say to people is there are preventative treatments there. So certain treatments you can use for dogs now will have parasites, anti-parasitic agents in them against ticks. So that if a tick does land on your dog, the first thing it'll do is it'll stick itself into the dog's skin. It'll burrow down and it'll start suck, it literally sucks blood. That's how they survive. But what these drugs do is if the tick jumps in and it starts to feed on the blood the drug is actually in the blood and it kills the tick and it falls off um you know obviously if you see there's collars as well you can use um where they they release a certain active across the skin of a dog and that's actually a repellent for ticks um so some of them do sand flies they do ticks mosquitoes they're very good actually um because it's, the climate's becoming drier we're seeing more of these conditions Say in Mediterranean Europe, it would be standard. Every single dog is going around with one of these repelling collars on for that simple reason. Again, we're seeing more of it. I see more of it in southern UK now talking to people as well. Um, but again, if you do see a tick on your dog, I think it's very important, Derek, that it is removed ASAP. It's not an easy thing to do. I don't know if you've ever removed one, but you got there are certain little devices you can use. You know, they're little hook-shaped devices. Um, but you got to literally turn the head and then remove it as opposed to pulling it directly off. But again, chat to somebody if you do see a tick on your dog and you're not confident enough to remove it properly. And finally, Tim, do you, I suppose one other thing I want to talk to you about is like you see, especially along rivers, especially during the summer, there's a lot of algae in the rivers, which are and along the coastlines of the rivers there, which are very, uh, I suppose, poisonous to dogs. What other things like that uh would you watch out for yeah you're right there algae there's an awful lot of toxins that are released you know from uh some of these materials particularly in lakes you know where water is dormant static water is notorious for dogs there you know free-flowing water absolutely it's it's comfortable we're fine with that but what happens is when you get a build-up of vegetation there's enzymes released sometimes you'll have toxins released and dogs won't really differentiate between toxins and water. Water is water as they do see it. Um, a lot of decayed vegetation that's in the static areas, again, that would release certain enzymes. So I would say beware of those areas where the water level drops 
you know and a lot of times you know you will have certain material that would be in the lake that you won't even notice yourself that can be toxic you know certain fish even will be toxic to dogs you know decaying over time um jellyfish are probably a big one either alive or dead are, are very detrimental to dogs and you know you do see cases and reports of it where even earlier this spring um there were several dogs in the uk had very very bad encounters with jellyfish again goes back to the point we were making about toxins and allergies um releasing certain type of agents so again the algae would be a very very common one uh, and as i said you know the general advice to people is you know if you've got a dog you don't want them to drink out of uh, particularly a lake and particularly not if there's algae or any signs of any fungal material on it because with the changing of the season with the decaying vegetation you can get a build up particularly of fungal particles as well around the, the water edge so keep your dog away from static water is always the advice brilliant Tim and any other advice Tim that you'd offer dog owners coming into the summer I think they're particularly for dog owners uh, coming out of COVID um, an awful lot of people were walking their dog on their own um, people that got puppies even 12 months ago they probably never socialized them properly. Um, and I think people need to get out, particularly with their dogs, and let their dog meet other dogs. Now, we've discussed all about uh, canine cough. We've discussed about static water. We've discussed about bees, jellyfish, risk. But probably the biggest risk of all to dogs is the lack of, of, of interaction and socialization over the past 12 months. And I think just if you're out with your dog, um, obviously a collar and lead, um, let it go up and just let it interact with other dogs. And as I said, just treat it, you know, with that little bit of, I think, patience, um, because it probably hasn't been exposed to other dogs as much as it should. And, you know, if you're living in an area where there's an off lead area where you can let it just play with other dogs, let it bound around just like dogs love doing, let it do that as much as you can. I mean, I'm a big advocate of, of dogs playing and just being a dog and, you know, if you can meet up with other dogs and you can just observe them and make sure they're safe and they're not going to harm anybody or, you know, bolt into somebody, let them have a good time uh, doing it together. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing when you see, you know, a number of dogs playing and just expressing normal behavior um, because one of the five freedoms is to express normal behavior. And it's one that I keep saying to people is probably the most important thing that if a dog can express normal behavior, you've probably got a very happy dog and that's what we all want. So get out there with your dogs is what I say to people. Be aware if the weather gets fine, um, you know, of the risk of sunstroke and sunburn. But again, that's not a reason not to bring your dog out. So plenty of walking, plenty of fun and enjoy it. Absolutely, Tim. And I see it with uh, Bruno and Millie. They go off with my dad every day down to the campus in UL here. And he meets the same old guys the whole time. And they all have dogs with them and they all just get along so well. And I suppose Bruno would have been a very reactive dog originally there about even about two years ago. But like now he just he loves me and other dogs and it, it's great for for both of them. Like Millie is kind of I suppose pushing on a small bit now. She's at ten at the moment, but like she's still like when she meets the other dog, she's still like a big puppy as well. They do. But they, that's it, Darling. I mean, that's the beauty about it, isn't it? They're for humans like they're the biggest social icebreaker you know, have dogs. They're just brilliant, like, in so many levels. Then they meet their own dogs and they, they have their own little language where they communicate, you know, with their ears, their tail, you know, vocally, through smell, 
you know, they have their own little lines of communication going on. And when you stand back, like, that's what I, I just in amazement every single day. I stand back and I look at my dog and other dogs and I'm thinking, wow, just look at them like that. And I think if you can get your dog out when you haven't been out much in the last 15 months, and just observe that, you know, I think you learn, you just learn how great dogs are um, and you learn to pick up more on their body language and they'll, your dog will teach you almost what's normal and what's not normal. And that's really important because one line we were always taught was, well, you can never know what's abnormal if you don't know what is normal in the first place. And your dog will let you know what's normal for it because every dog is different. So just look, look and listen to your dog. I think you'll learn a huge amount this summer. Exactly. And I suppose always watch out for like, like obviously a dog can't speak English gives off different uh, body signals calming signals to other dogs to like let them know if it's okay and just dogs communicate through body language generally so just once you know the body language I suppose like that's if you know that body language that's the main way of knowing if your dog is comfortable with another dog yeah yeah and it's like recently Darryl, there was a big campaign in the UK and it came here as well about ear cropping now I know we could talk about this for another two hours but somebody said to me um, that, you know, don't call it cropping. They said it's chopping ears off. And that's essentially what it is. And then we had a very good discussion. It was a public discussion on the topic. And it just, what I, the, the way I explained it is, you know, if you look at dogs, so many of them speak with their ears, you know, they won't vocalize. Some of them are very quiet dogs, but they don't need to vocalize. They can communicate with their ear. So if you're removing their ears, you're depriving them, you know, of so much, not only from just a, a pain and a discomfort point of view, but to express themselves, you know, then you go and looking at tails, you know, the whole issue of if, if you're going to dock tails, like dogs, a dog's tail is just so powerful as a communication tool. It does have a lot of functions, but to communicate its feelings, its thoughts with other dogs as well, and even communicating with humans. You know, if you look at a dog's tail, I can tell you exactly what my dog is thinking or what she's going to do next when I see her tail, you know, just because it means something. And if you start depriving animals of those features of their anatomy, which are intrinsically given to them for a reason, you know, it's such a sad situation. So, you know, absolutely. If you, you know, as a dog owner, you will learn with your dog's ears if they're up or down, left or right, back or forward, what that's meaning. And then you can react accordingly. And likewise with a dog's tail. So again, just the, the non-verbal communication, we call it, is really, really important. So if people just watch that during the summer, I think they'll, 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 they'll be in awe of what their dog is actually expressing. That's brilliant. And Dr. Tim Corby from Pepon.ie, thank you so much for joining me today on The Big Bark. Next week, we have Danny Brady from uh, Swords and Paws Groomer in Galway. And Danny is the only fear-free groomer in Galway. So really looking forward to having a chat with Danny on all things positive reinforcement in grooming. Uh, until next week, thanks very much. And follow us on social media on the Big Bear Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And have a back in Mad Week. The Big Bark, listen up dog owners, is for you. your favorite podcast the big bark with your host dara burke and canine co-hosts bruno and millie the big bark when you see someone sipping on a crisp refreshing drink from mcdonald's you may suddenly crave one too 
<laughs> and that's normal. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. All your ice-cold go-to drinks are here whenever that mood hits. From classic Coca-Cola to a sparkling Sprite to a sweet, sweet tea. Get any size for just $1.39, only at McDonald's. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.